Nicole Jones is a licensed mental health therapist and a life coach specializing in women's issues. She is passionate about helping her clients create a life full of joy, ease, and peace. Guiding them back to self-love, worthiness, and compassion is the cornerstone of her work. She provides one-on-one and group support through her upcoming Remember Self-Love program. The Eclipse Podcast, a series where we delve into people's passions. There is a freedom in doing something you simply love, a zone where there is undivided attention and heart. I'll work in sustainable living, a passion at Eclipse Apparel. Welcome to the Eclipse Podcast. I'm Elise Champ. Today's guest is Nicole Jones. Thank you so much for having me, Elise. I'm honored to be here to talk about my passions with you. So fun. Um, My journey to, well, first I was a therapist. And that is just really rooted in a lifelong desire to help people. I was, I mean, even as a child, my mom said that I used to come over to her if she had a headache and like kiss my hand and put my hand on her forehead to like make her better. And then I, through my own experience of, of therapy as a teenager and in my college years, it was just something I really felt called to do was to help people. Um, and then as I've become, you know, as I, I'm a therapist and I've been working as a therapist for quite a few years now. And I've, I've been more and more drawn to coaching because it's, it's really forward focused. And I really love watching people create their lives. So therapy, therapy tends to be past focused. So you're really like maybe processing trauma and old stuff that you've experienced in your life. And you like all this, like digging up of the old unearthing your old stuff, which is really, really important to do. Um, But life coaching is more forward, forward focused, goal oriented. And I, my therapy, my, my therapy is definitely coachy and my coachy definitely has a side of therapy because sometimes you have to go back and process some old stuff to move forward. But I, I'm transitioning to life coaching just because I love to watch people who are really, really motivated and high functioning who feel like they need a little push, but they don't actually need therapy to start to reach their goals. Mm-hmm. And so it's really fun to work with people in that capacity who are super motivated, really high functioning. They really want to make changes, but they're stuck for some reason and they want to get unstuck and move forward. So how do you know this is a passion for you? What does that look like? Well, I just love to learn about it. Like I am... (laughs) (laughs) I am the queen of learning and research and reading, and I'm just fascinated by healing in 
in a lot of different modalities. I'm very holistic. And I just, it's just, I'm just fascinated by it. Like I, and I think that's what, that's how I know it's a passion because I just, I want to know more and more and more and more. And and then, you know, there's that, that saying that the more you learn, the less, you know, and that's absolutely true, especially when you're working in like the holistic worlds, like yoga and Ayurveda and homeopathy and all these things I love to dabble in. It's just, I can sit with a homeopathy book or a yoga book or an Ayurveda book for hours and just like dig around and, and learn and learn and learn and learn. Like, and I just, and I love to watch people change. It's so fun when my clients come back to me and they're like, I did this, or I had this aha moment, or I like, I was brave here, or I, I put a boundary up here. And it's just like, yes, that's so great. So that's how I know it's a passion of mine. And I feel it in my body. It's like, I get excited. What modalities do you use when working with clients? Ugh, I have so many. Um, I am a brain spotting therapist. So brain spotting is a brain body based intervention that helps to clear out old experiences that keep you stuck in your current way of being. And you can use brain spotting to clear out significant traumas or big traumas, the big, big T's they call them in your lives, things like abuse and neglect, um, car accidents, you know, things of that nature. Or, you know, we also have these little traumas that we have happen in our lives that we don't realize are there that hold us back. Things like, you know, maybe your mom was not fully present or she yelled at you once for getting a bad grade or your teacher like shamed you in class. Like these are all little things that still can impact the way you are today in your life. And brain spotting is a great way to clear, clear that stuff out. Um, so I use brain spotting. I use Ayurveda and yoga and homeopathy and some energy work, sound, some, using some sound like mantra and mudras, like very yogic sorts of things. And, you know, just traditional supportive talk therapy or coaching using um, doing thought work, essentially. So really looking at how a person's thoughts create how they feel, which creates the actions that you take in your life, which then create the results that you get. And if you're always thinking the same thing and feeling the same way, you're likely always going to take the same actions and get the same result over and over and over again. But sometimes that thought or that belief, you know, it has some underlying deeper core limiting belief that needs to be cleared out with something else like energy work or brain spotting, homeopathy, yoga, <laughs> breath work. <laughs> the, brain performs, the brain performs incredible functions, yet retraining the brain seems important too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Because our ways of thinking really can become hardwired in our brains. And I think it's the, the saying is whatever um, fires, fires together, wires, wires together. So the more you think a similar thought, you're going to attract more and more of that same thought. And we, so, for example, I work with a lot of anxious clients in both coaching and therapy. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't like the, the anxious thought of, oh, my gosh, 
you know, I have to go and give, I have to get on an airplane. And then all of a sudden, all these thoughts of like, I'm going to be trapped. I won't be able to get off. What if it crashes? Like immediately all those things are like, like they come together and you start thinking them and, and they just, it's like this hard wiring in the brain, which you can undo through recognition of those thought patterns. And you can create new hardwiring that's more optimal. Would you use yoga to address that? Or you go to brain spotting? It really depends on the client. I mean, the part that when I say yoga, it's I can like give people a yoga practice specifically for anxiety, depression, grief, whatever it is that they're whatever it is that they're experiencing, like postures that will address that. But when I say yoga, it's more about like the philosophy of being present in the moment. So I would use that mindfulness-based approach. Like, okay, what do you when you think about getting on the airplane, what are you thinking? How does it make you feel? And then what actions do you take? And you know, then it's like, well, then I like I avoid, I don't fly, <laughs> you know, I drink before I get on the airplane or whatever it is. And then I'm still super anxious anyway. You work mostly with women to show up as their best selves. What areas have you found are most effective to address? Mm. I think that's, that's a big question. So a lot of the work that I think that I do, you know, it is around thought work, but then there is this idea of attachment trauma where when they're younger and they didn't, you know, maybe they didn't experience like severe abuse and neglect, but their parents weren't present. Um, Their parents sent them messages you know, that, that they themselves didn't feel worthy or important, or they themselves were super anxious and depressed or had addiction. So sometimes going back and addressing what it was like as a child being parented, because I do, I work with moms a lot. I work with women of, you know, women of throughout the life cycle, but a lot, I see a lot of moms. And when you're a mother, so much of how you were mothered comes up for you and is reflected in your own parenting or not. If you don't want it to be, that's an option. Um, so addressing that old, those old experiences that they had as a child and, and you know, working on the thoughts, working on self-care, um, the ability to ask for help. So hard for moms to ask for help. They think moms these days think they should be able to manage it all. Like there's this expectation that they should just be able to handle everything all by themselves, you know, work and kids and all of it with ease and grace. And it's not that hard. It's not that easy. It's really hard. Can you talk about the difference between emotions and feelings? (laughs) Well, and an emotion is, oh, I'm not great at saying, saying this out loud. Um, emotion is energy in motion. And I love that definition of it. And there is, and a feeling is actually the feeling you get in your body. 
that, I mean, that's why they're called feelings. Cause if you stop and you're feeling really anxious, if you're able to connect to your body, you can actually feel tension in your throat or your chest or your belly. Like that's why it's called a feeling. Cause you actually feel it in your body. And a big part of the work that I do with people is helping them connect their mind to their bodies. Cause most of us are walking around with our heads cut off from our bodies. We're not aware of the feelings happening in our bodies. And as far as the emotion goes, like there's, uh, I could, Joe Dispenza goes in depth about the emotions that we experience in our, in our minds and how there's like a chemical residue and we actually get addicted to them. The more and more we think about them, Um, But the emotion is like, you've got that chemical in the brain that happens when you have the emotion, sadness, fear, whatever, and then you get the feeling in the body. Do you find often with your clients that there are indeed emotions that need to be cleared that are in the body? Yes, all the time. All of them are. They're all, I mean, that's what brain spotting is all about. And the more and more energy work I learn and study, um, we can only do so much processing with verbally with the prefrontal cortex. Um, That doesn't actually clear out the feeling in the body, whatever's stored in the body. So bringing my clients into their body is an important part of clearing out whatever it is that needs to be cleared out. You can, you, you know, you can use your prefrontal cortex cortex to make new decisions and, and that's what it's great. You know, we need, we need it, but, and we can also use it to like begin to create new thoughts. That's really, really important. And the repetition of thoughts helps to create new beliefs and new thoughts. And that can work itself into the unconscious brain, but takes a lot of time. Is that what you were talking about when you said, it's a choice, like you're rewiring mm-hmm. your habits. Right. So you become aware of that maladaptive thought, decide if you want to keep it, and then choose something else to think about. So it's like, I want to think about, I want to think that being on an airplane is really some, kind of an amazing experience. You know, like, wow, this is crazy that they can like create this thing that can like hurl us through space at 600 miles an hour and get us from like A to B in an hour. It's like magnificent creation, right? Like you can think of it as a miracle or you can think of it as a terrifying can that you're going to die in, <laughs> you know? Like <laughs> We are in the midst of a pandemic mm-hmm. where uncertainty, fear, and vulnerability are highlighted could you address those feelings? Mm-hmm. I think that what has happened with the, the whole coronavirus thing has absolutely highlighted all of those things that have it's always been present in all of our lives. But we've had such a routine that we forget that it's present, that they're all present in our lives all the time, especially the uncertainty. Because really, day-to-day life, you have no idea what it's going to look like in five minutes, but we got so we're, we got so comfortable in our lives and like 
going, taking our kids to school for the whole day and going to work and going to dinner and going to yoga class or whatever it is. Like you just take it for granted. Like it's like a certain thing when it's really always, always uncertain. And coronavirus has brought that to light that we are always living in uncertainty. And I think there's grief that happens when you realize how uncertain life is all the time. And I think people are really grieving the loss of their normalcy when uncertainty has been present the whole time. I'd like to talk a little bit more about anxiety. How are we in charge of what we think and how we react to anxiety? Yeah, we're really in charge of how we react to everything. I mean, anxiety for sure. Anxiety is something I see and I work with a lot in my own practice because I am I am an anxiety survivor for sure. And we can choose to go into the what ifs, the shoulds, all that catastrophizing, thinking those really scary thoughts, or you can learn how to distract yourself from those thoughts, sidetrack yourself from those thoughts. You can learn that you don't have to think those thoughts. You don't have to engage with them, which is really hard to do when they're hardwired in your brain because your brain's like, wait a minute, this is what I do. I think anxious thoughts and I'm just going to attract more anxious thoughts. And it just really, really wants to keep creating more anxious thoughts. Um, But you can learn to do that and you can learn to not be reactive to the circumstances in your life, which right now is a fertile soil for learning how to not be reactive to the events in our lives. And when you can learn not to be reactive to the events in your life, then you just feel so much calmer. And learning to be curious about what's happening in your life is even taking it a step further, like, "Uh uh-huh, okay, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to see what unfolds with all of this. And that's been one of the biggest things in my own journey is learning to be curious about what is going down in my life. Would you say that's a way to reframe mm-hmm. what's sure. happening? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about self-love, the mm-hmm. theme of your upcoming program. What would you say are the ramifications of the absence of self-love? Oh, there's so many. I mean, it's just, as I've done work with clients and even on myself, even that like anxiety, the lack of self-love, I feel is an underpinning to anxiety, depression, lack of confidence, um, scarcity thinking, just, you know, getting stuck in your life, like living a life that you don't really want to be living, but you're too afraid to go higher or to take risks because you don't feel like you're worth it. Um, you know, your relationships can be really maladaptive. If you aren't, if you're looking to fill your own cup by someone else, like you're asking someone else to fill your cup for you, 
It can lead to really maladaptive relationships, attracting the wrong kind of partners and even friendships. So like a lot of the work towards self-love is creating new habits and minimizing old ones. Yeah, that is part of it. That is part of it. And becoming aware of how you perpetuate the self-loathing by how you think. And for me, learning to self-love is about the embodiment of it somewhat, like where, yes, you learn about the thoughts and the habits and the patterns and all that, but like, how do you really embody self-love? How do you, how do you feel it in your body? Mm -hmm. So that's one way to start, Mm -hmm. just sort of work around the brain Mm-hmm. And maybe reverse engineer mm-hmm. what that looks like or should look like as opposed to what people are used to. Like you were saying, the self-loathing, which for me, it's almost hard to, I mean, there's, it's so close, self-love and self-loathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, just a few letters different. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So there are some exercises or what do you like um, to use as a modality or different modalities that you would use? Well, I think um, one of the ways that I've really been been able to embrace myself and have less self-loathing and more self-loving is the practice of yoga, the physical practice of yoga which you get to just learn to be on your mat and in your body without judgment is the ideal way of being with that. Um, And then I also love the Ayurvedic practice of Abhyanga, which is a warm oil massage, self-massage that is done in a very specific way with um, specific oils. And, you know, you start at your head and you massage, working your way down to your feet And so just that practice of like touching your body with intention and love is so powerful. In addition to the practice of Abhyanga also increases your oxytocin, which is the love hormone. Mm. So it's one of my favorite practices too that I love. I love, love, love. I love that practice. And I, most of my clients hear about it <laughs> and are highly encouraged to do that. Since you work with moms, do you find that they feel guilt or resistance or shame somehow in taking the time to show themselves love? Is there resistance that you come across? All the time. Mm. all the time it is there is so much guilt and shame around taking time for yourself I think it's part of it is this um, mom culture that we live in where you pour everything into your children and then you're like last you're last So everything else happens first. And that's what being a good mom means. So 
it's, it is, it is a big problem for moms a lot to, to stop and to see that the more full they are, the more they can actually give their kids. I always think of the, the directions, the instructions you get on the airplane. If the oxygen masks come down, first you put the mask on yourself. And then you put the oxygen mask on the children. So I'm not sure if that helps me to deal with any possible guilt, which is that I need to feed myself first, oxygenate myself first, and then be there to help. Right. Yeah. It's that's, yeah, that's an analogy that's used quite often in the, the perinatal distress world is that, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first. I like to, I like to use the analogy of the parasite is only as healthy as the host. <laughs> so our babies are our tiny little parasites. <laughs> I haven't you know? heard that one. <laughs> so for some of us, they're like, you know, literally feeding all, off of us at the beginning. And even if they're not literally feeding off of us in the beginning, we're, you know, giving them bottles, giving them love, giving them all of our attention. And if the host isn't healthy and full, then that little parasite's not going to be healthy and full either. And in this case, we want to keep the parasite healthy and full. <laughs> because then they will need more from us. Right. Would you say that, <clears throat> going back to the anxiety, that there is a role for home hormones in there? Um, especially as women get older, would the hormonal shifts lead to anxiety and depression? Yeah. Um, estrogen is tied into um, serotonin. So when estrogen crashes, then your mood can definitely go downhill. Um, I think when women give birth, they're their hormones drop by like 200% hmm. below their normal levels, 200%. Like that's a crash. So baby blues, postpartum depression. And then even as we like go throughout the lifespan and our, our hormones, they become, you know, dysregulated for a number of reasons, stress, stressors, perimenopause, all of that stuff. Um, it's a real delicate balance within our being, our hormones, because when we're stressed, it does impact our hormones. And so the serotonin and progesterone, when we're on our cycle, they, they naturally dip. They, you know, they ebb and flow throughout the month. And when you have low estrogen, you can have, you know, for some women, really intrusive thoughts, delusional thinking, paranoia, and progesterone you know, helps keep us happy and calm. And helps us to sleep at night. And then there's like the whole hormonal thing is like very, very intricate. And you could talk for hours about that. But so it's important throughout our lifespan to be aware of our hormones and their, their possible impact they're having on your mood. What do you say to people regarding taking the time for yourself to apply a technique, maybe it's a yoga posture, when people may feel too busy? Mm. Yeah, that's really a matter of coaching them. You know, what coaching them around 
how you, you really only have, we all have so much time. Everyone's like, well, if I had more money, then I'd have more time. Or once I get to this place, I will have more time. But the matter of the fact is, is we all have the same amount of hours in a day. And there's some women who find the time and there's some women who just don't. So there's, there's a thing that, you know, I really have to coach women around what is causing them to feel like there isn't the time and how can we carve out time and all of the, you know, all of the interventions that I suggest are never overwhelming. Abhyanga might be the longest thing, which is like a 15 minute situation. You could probably even do it like faster than that. The, 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 the warm oil massage, the self massage, but you know, a lot of the interventions that I recommend are relatively short. So the time thing is kind of BS because you really don't need hours to take care of yourself. Sure. If you can get an hour exercise in or yoga class, or you go for a walk, that's awesome. But it's really little tiny breaks throughout the day that are going to make the most difference. Five minutes here, 10 minutes there, you know, bedtime of 10, 15 minutes, like that little, those little breaks are going to help you more than a weekend away. Like just have it be a part of your life where you take some time to sit and like have a cup of tea and stare out the window or whatever. It sounds like the intention in and of itself is powerful. Mm-hmm. It creates some momentum and a, is a reminder to take a few seconds here and there and a few minutes. Would you say interspersed throughout the day or it depends on the person? It, it really depends on the person and what they're, they're needing. Um, and I do, you know, depending on what the what, what's happening in the client's life that's how we decide what what work needs to be done in between sessions and what's going to fit for them and what's not cuz not everyone's going to love the abhyanga like i do you know and that's just not going to work for them but they might be like super willing to do a, you know five things they're grateful for every day and that takes a minute and can make a huge difference in your life or five minutes of breathing or, you know, you know, just there's different levels. Just as we are burdened possibly by emotions, stuff, be it clothing or furniture can weigh us down. With that being said, what is your approach to clothing and stuff? I'm not a stuff person. (laughs) I'm really not like I will get rid of things. You know, like, of course we all have that counter that tends to like collect all the crap, (laughs) you know, mail and masks and, and just stuff that it's like, everyone's like, Oh, I've got to clean this all out. But I'm not a, I'm not a real accumulator of stuff. I like to keep, fairly clean lines, but I want things to be homey and comfortable. You know, I do like pillows and blankets. That's probably the most stuff I've got. (laughs) I just want to be comfortable. (laughs) What do you do with clothing that you are done with? Mm -hmm. I donate everything that we're done with. 
I mean, unless it's like stained or ruined or something, then I don't donate that. But um, we donate pretty much, pretty much everything. And I had once, once in a teacher training, a yoga teacher training, one of my teachers talked about bringing stuff into your home. And every time you bring in new clothes, then you donate something from your closet. So I try to practice that. So if I like bring something new in, what is something I honestly have not worn for a long time and really probably won't. And like that can go in the donation bin. That's a great technique. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when does your uh, class start? We start February 1st. So it'll be a five week course and we're going to talk about things like shame and vulnerability and self-forgiveness and body love and how your thoughts perpetuate your self-loathing. It's and I the first class is just this amazing class around the heart and how the heart was in utero, how it developed, and just like it's it's just the first class is super super fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. But how our how our hearts emit, you know, love and this energetic field of love, and how that gets closed off. What happens to us? So that first class will be more like energetics of the heart. And this is over Zoom, Nicole. It'll be over Zoom, and then so we'll do. I'll have one class. We'll do one class a week. And then we'll have one group coaching mastermind where everyone will have an opportunity to talk about um, the teachings from that week and anything that they're struggling with as far as uh, self-love or moving forward or letting go of and, and all that kind of stuff. And then there'll be love work in between simple things to help you embody self-love. Simple, simple, simple. I'm going to try to keep it very simple and like digestible and easy to do. Nothing too overwhelming because people are busy and overwhelmed right now. They don't need any more of that. Mm -hmm. Your website is NicoleJones.com. Nicole is spelled with an H. Yes. And that is where they can find information about the class and register. Um, actually they, they just have to reach out to me at Nicole at NicoleJones.com. Don't forget the H's and, or you can friend me on Facebook. I have a group for moms, joyful, mo- joyful mothers. They can search joyful mothers and find it that yep. way. Yep. And yep. that's a very active group. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's an amazing group for moms. It's I mean, it is my group, so I'm, you know, a little bit biased, but it's a really non-judgmental, accepting place. I've never really had any issue, mom judgment issues, which I'm really firm about laying down the law on that. And yeah, it's a really nice place to hang out, I think, for moms. Can you talk a bit about the new training that you're starting for yourself and for your practice? Right. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started uh, a year long immersion um, in Ayurvedic wellness coaching. So for the next year, every Wednesday will be my Ayurvedic Wednesday. And I'm learning about Ayurveda in the feminine form 
with a focus on women's emotional and physical health. So I'm super excited to dive deep more deeply into Ayurveda. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga, and it is the oldest form of medicine on the planet. And like acupuncture, Chinese medicine actually was birthed from Ayurveda. So it is the oldest form of medicine, and it's really a way of life and a way of being. I mean, yes, there's they have diagnostic diagnostic diagnoses and herbs and things like that. Um, but it's really about living a life of balance and honoring yourself and getting back to that awareness and love. That's what this program's about awareness and love. And it's just amazing. And the feminine form medicine means that understanding that person in a very holistic way. So someone can say, come to you and say, Oh, I'm anxious. And then a in traditional Western medicine might be like, oh, here's some Lexapro. Here you go. Uh, but it's in Ayurveda, it's like, what's going on in your life? How are your relationships? What else is happening in your body? And like looking at them as the whole person, what's going on in the world? And like then the holding of the space for the person and like making the food, like all those things, like feminine form medicine is like, you know, when your grandma used to make you soup when you were sick and holding you in that loving space. So it's really, I'm really excited about it. It feels like I've arrived home as I sit in those trainings. It's just beautiful. So that's what I'm bringing for myself and my clients. So every week in my group, I'm always giving them a little tidbit about, you know, what we learned in Ayurveda. And last week's tid tidbit was that you are healthy when you are rooted in your true self. And so your true self, how do you distinguish your true self mm. from your not so true self, right? That all that true self, I guess that's everyone else has is going to have a different opinion on what what they are and where they came from. That's really that divine being that you are. In my mind, I had a teacher that always said you are a divine being of light. So that is the self that is the true self, not all not your role as mother or daughter or sister or a therapist or any of those things. It's like, what are you underneath all of that stuff, which is love. And so the theme of this podcast about what people's passions are, I wonder if that's another way of saying getting back to your true self. Absolutely. And, and being in a state of true selfness <laughs> of flow and ease and joy and balance. Absolutely. That is in, in Ayurveda, there's a word called sattva, which means being and all of those things. And we are all seeking sattva in a way. We are all seeking that growth towards balance and love and joy. 